if someone gives the just the advice, eat healthy and exercise, which is what I think a lot of us get, or just eat less, move more, just that level of. Uh, I mean, how adequate do you think that advice is for weight loss? I mean, what what would you assume is a success rate? Well, let me let me just say this about saying eat healthy. So, you know, number one, you have to really qualify that very carefully as to what that means. You know, what is healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, really unhealthy? I wouldn't say that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if all you did was eat macaroni and cheese from today until the end of the world, right, and you ate volumes of it, then I would say that's probably not a healthy thing to do. In terms of weight loss, you know, let's say we'll go with the word healthy for the moment. Then you say, I'm going to eat healthy. It doesn't mean that you will lose weight necessarily. It means you've changed what you're eating. You're not right. eating potato chips at every meal, let's say. But the calories, you know, you could still consume a lot of calories by eating, again, I use the word in quotes, healthy. You know, and, and we do, again, like I said, Weight Watchers, we think Weight Watchers is fine. Um, but a while back, they made the proclamation that you could eat as many fruit and vegetables as you liked. Well, the problem was people were eating eight, nine apples a day or six bananas a day, and they were, and they were gaining weight. They were eating healthy, right? More veggies and, you know, more fruit, but they were eating so much of it that they were not losing weight. So, you know, so there's that. And eat less, exercise more, I think you asked me. You know, there's going to be, if you have a thousand people, there's going to be a few people in the audience who say, I'll do it, right? And other people are not. We don't say eat less, exercise more. We make a joke about it. We say, yeah, see how simple it is? Just eat less, exercise more. <laughs> right. We're saying it tongue-in-cheek because we know that that's not enough. It's crazy to me because I think that the dominant message that overweight people get is this is easy, just eat less and exercise more. And it's not easy. And even if it was easy, that wouldn't be the best way to do it. No, it's just, it's just simply not. I mean, it, it, it's crazy to say that, really. That's Rich Weil, the director of the Mount Sinai St. Luke's Weight Loss Program. And I wish I could have heard him say that when I was 11 or 15 or 22. I spent 12 years thinking that the way to lose weight, the responsible, sustainable way, was to eat healthy and exercise. I probably tried to lose weight 100 times the way that I thought I was supposed to. Grilled chicken, asparagus, salad, quinoa, and jogging. When I finally lost 100 pounds by calorie counting in 2015, I started to realize all the reasons just eating healthy and exercising hadn't been working for me. Calorie counting is not for everyone for reasons ranging from calorie counting can be pretty annoying and tedious to calorie counting being triggering for certain people with eating disorders. But I think understanding that creating a calorie deficit is the basic mechanism for weight loss helps when you're choosing and managing a diet, regardless of whether you're actively writing down and tracking your calories. My name is Max Lasser, and I'm a writer and comedian living in Los Angeles. And this is a podcast about why I think counting calories, or at least being aware of your calories, makes weight loss easier. Let's start this weight loss podcast by talking about how to stay the same weight. The amount of food you need to stay the same weight is called your maintenance calories. That number is going to be wildly different depending on your gender, height, weight, and age. When I weighed 297 pounds in order to stay that weight, I had to eat 3,300 calories a day. And at 200 pounds to stay that weight, I had to eat 2,550 calories a day. That's because bodies with more mass need more energy to sustain themselves, for the same reason that a horse eats more food than a dog. So if you want to lose weight, you have to create a calorie deficit. 
And I think it's very important to stress that because a lot of people will tell you that to lose weight, you need to eat healthy. You need to go from eating too much food to eating the amount of food that a reasonable, healthy person with asparagus in their fridge will eat from the first day of their diet to the day they die at age 97, surrounded by their loved ones because they retrain their brain using these six simple tricks. But when you're heavier, your body needs more food just to exist. So to lose weight, you aren't eating healthy. You're eating too little, a deficit. If you eat 500 calories too little every day, you'll lose a pound a week. And if you eat 1,000 calories too little every day, you'll lose two pounds a week. And if you're on a deficit, you're going to be hungry. A huge part of why weight loss is so hard is it's really, really hard to be hungry. According to a 2007 study from UCLA, 99% of diets fail, and many people who diet eventually end up at a higher weight than when they started. So it's not just hard to do, it's very hard to maintain. And I complained about this to Dr. Kristen Vickers, a clinical health psychologist and director of wellness coaching for the Mayo Clinic Healthy Living Program. While we're losing weight, A, we're, we're hungry, which is just in and of itself, not having enough food for, for our bodies of, of, to continue at their current size is, is just difficult, right? We, we, not having enough food is hard. And then also yes. um, uh, saying no to a craving is difficult, right? If we sort of tell ourselves, I don't want to have that, I'm not going to have those Oreos, that's difficult. And then we also sort of lose the pleasure and the relaxation of eating the Oreos, um, Sounds about, awful. It's, it's just yeah. absolutely awful. <laughs> Isn't it terrible? Yeah, it's terrible. I don't know what you were going to say, but you've sure lined it up. I mean, exactly. Yeah. This is why we fail. It's it's uncomfortable. We study in in pain, uh, in like, laboratory studies of, of pain and chronic pain. They have this cold presser test where you just you put somebody's hand in very cold icy water and look and see how long they can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And so physical discomfort is a psychological issue you know our body is telling us don't be uncomfortable perhaps you're doing something not quite right and so it is constant um it's a burden to sustain and i i look at it like uh, you know hunger or um or body image disturbance these are kind of like a chronic pain uh experience and if we then react to that with compassion and understanding and how can I pace myself? How can I get as comfortable as I can given the situation? Uh, But uh, we, we honor the fact that super cold water uh, absolutely is painful for people Mm -hmm. and hunger is a painful state. I think that's why this, this idea of, of, of talking about the difficulty and motivation is, is so personal to me because I, you know, I, I, I so much needed encouragement from my from my friends and family, but also I think when I was 15, it would have been so nice for someone to say, "Hey, we know this is super uncomfortable. Like we, we we're aware that how hard this is for you, and that this is painful for you to be hungry." We get the opposite message. It's we get people who are the success stories, and they'll say, "At the moment where they are successful, this you know snapshot in time at the after, here's what I did, and we want to soak it up and learn from them and get excited and buy what they have, and." And the the message, we don't want to be discouraged, but we do want to have this message that like trying to um, achieve something professionally or getting through uh, this exam, you know, the finals is a really difficult time. We have these expectations in other areas that this is going to burn a bit. Mm-hmm. And if anything, we give the exact opposite and say, if 
if this isn't going well and quickly for you, perhaps you're too lazy or you don't have enough information right. or you're just not trying hard right. enough. Right. And that's such a self-defeating framework because then it says, well, this works for other people, but not me. There must be something wrong with me when if you look at population estimates, I mean, it's more likely that it's not working than it is. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. The next time you see someone repeating some tired old version of, why don't you just put down the fork, remember two things. Number one, that if you succeed at this, you'll be one out of a hundred people who try. And the person saying that sure gets crabby when they have to skip dinner. Now, you could also lose three or four pounds a week, but no calorie counting app will let you select that as an option. And there's a reason for that. According to the CDC, people who lose weight gradually and steadily, about one to two pounds per week, are more successful at keeping weight off. It's hard to be that hungry. The less you eat, the more your body will send signals that you're starving. You'll be tired, irritable, headachy, you'll have a hard time focusing, your willpower will plummet. As Dr. Vickers says, hunger is a painful state. Giving your body a more and more extreme calorie deficit is like trying to stand outside in the cold. It's easier at 45 degrees than negative 10 degrees. And on top of just being difficult to handle, being really hungry gives you less energy for your job, your relationships, and your life. When I interviewed Dana Hunnace, an obesity professor at UCLA, dietitian, and frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, this was the first thing I asked her about. I want to start by asking you just a couple technical questions. Um, and the first one is, the CDC recommends that people lose one to two pounds a week for weight loss, why shouldn't we lose four pounds a week? Why is it wrong to just lose as much weight as possible? Well, primarily the reason for recommending no more than one to two pounds per week is that studies and literature show that that is a sustainable weight rate of weight loss. Any more than that, and we start to lose muscle mass, which decreases our metabolism, which in the long run makes it that much more difficult to actually keep the weight off that we lose. And we kind of know that eating too few calories isn't great for you. If you tell your friends you have a new diet plan and what you're going to do is you're going to eat 800 calories a day, they'll be worried. They'll tell you that's not enough food. But if you tell them that the day you ate egg whites and berries for breakfast, and then grilled chicken and broccoli for lunch, a little granola for a snack, and then some salmon, brown rice, and asparagus for dinner, which adds up to about 1,100 calories depending on portion sizes, obviously, and then went for a jog and burned, say, maybe 300 calories if you're lucky, They'll congratulate you on your new healthy lifestyle. When you try to lose weight by eating healthy and exercising, it's easy to eat too many calories because of the number of calories in things like avocado and hummus. And it's very easy not to eat enough calories. If I ate my 800-calorie diet I just described, at my highest weight, I would be losing five and a half pounds a week. That's completely insane. I'm not marooned on a desert island. I'm on a diet. Even if that were good for you, it would require an iron willpower to sustain that diet just lounging around my house, much less in the middle of a workday when I have four assignments due tomorrow. Which is one of the reasons people give up and go back to what they were eating before, because they are literally starving. We're telling 350-pound men and women who want to lose 10 pounds the same thing when they want to lose weight. Eat healthy. This is the primary advice I got for the first 23 years of my life. Eat healthy, organic, natural food. Stop eating so much processed junk. Don't eat after dinner. Don't snack too much. 
What I remember clearly is a massive feeling of uncertainty that what I was doing was right. I just went swimming. Should I eat a granola bar so I'm not starving when dinner comes around? I remember reading an article that it's good to eat every three hours and not let yourself get too hungry. These Brussels sprouts seem like they have a lot of butter on them. Is that okay to eat? I had two ways of eating and two conceptions of food. Good food, fruits, vegetables, Greek yogurt, whole grains, lean meats, and bad food, which was basically everything else. Tacos, pasta, pizza. And something's kind of blurred the line. Uh, Is Thai food good or bad? Well, we're going out for Thai to celebrate Angela's birthday, so I guess it's fine. So you can imagine my shock on my very first day of calorie counting on February 16th, 2015, when I entered all my information and the app told me that if I wanted to lose a pound and a half a week, I had to eat 2,550 calories today. That kind of seemed like a lot. I ate what I'd normally be eating for breakfast, a kind bar and a nice coffee from the Starbucks across the street. 2,330 left. Hmm. Just as an experiment, I decided to eat fast food for lunch, just to see where that put us. I figured this would be a nice way to show me that when I eat fast food, I used up all my calories then and there. I vividly remember going to McDonald's on my first day of calorie counting and looking at a Big Mac and seeing that it was 550 calories. Wait, what? You're telling me that I could eat a Big Mac for breakfast, two Big Macs for lunch, and two Big Macs for dinner and still lose a pound a week? I was dumbstruck. I went with a Big Mac and fries, 920 calories, 1,410 calories left. 1,410! There are Outback Steakhouse entrees you can eat with that number of calories. I could eat a 10,800 calorie Bloomin' Burger and still have 330 left over for a tall Starbucks Java Chip Frappuccino. Now, I certainly am not advocating you eat this way. If you can, you absolutely should eat a mix of healthy, natural foods. But it's important to understand that's not what's causing you to gain or lose weight. Which is actually nice because it means you can eat nutrient-rich foods and fruits and vegetables and whole grains when you can, but also go to a wedding or have a few beers without panicking and seeing yourself as a failure. When I would diet by eating healthy, if I ever broke and ate mac and cheese, that was me failing my diet for the day. And a side of KFC mac and cheese is 160 calories. So when I was starting out to fail my diet for the day, I would have had to eat 16 sides of KFC mac and cheese. Two for breakfast, seven for lunch, and seven for dinner. The moment that you start depriving yourself or restricting yourself, all you're going to do is eat more. You know, if you don't eat more today, you'll eat it tomorrow. And if you don't eat more tomorrow, you'll, you'll eat it at some point, right? So, so no restriction. We're just taking a very practical viewpoint of it and giving people a break, right? Mm-hmm. Giving people a break so they can forgive themselves. Like, it's okay, you know? It's okay. And when you say that you can have that instead of you say you can't, you're going to be well served. Walking around saying, I can't have that. I'm not supposed to have that. I shouldn't have that. Man, that's a recipe for disaster. You're just going to end up doing it. Um, you're just going to keep Right, you have to, you have to give up mac and cheese for the rest of your life. And that's no, probably no, not no, going to no, happen. No, 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 we, we, You'll never hear us say that. Right, we'll exactly. We'll never say even you can't have that. We'll never say there's a bad food or a good food, frankly. We just won't say it because none of it's true. And, you know, frankly, you know, mac and cheese is... is delicious right and people like <laughs> right. it and if you think you're going to have to give up mac and cheese for the rest of your life to keep your weight off you're going to be a miserable individual when it comes to food and you're going to be irritable and you're going to be unhappy and you're going to be cranky and you're going to snap at people you know 
Honestly, and when you say that you can have the mac and cheese in our program, when we say that, people tend to have what they want but not more, whereas before they came to the program, they would binge on this stuff. And furthermore, not only would they binge on it, but that would binge would lead to more binging so that, you know, we'd like to say, you know, that binge on mac and cheese could end up being a binge the next day, and it could lead to days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months and even years of overeating, right? Whereas in our program, when people give, are given permission to have the mac and cheese, and even if they have a little bit more since they're coming back each week, they're not going to – they don't they don't fall off the wagon like that. They rebound quickly. Um, but they also learn how to gain control over food so that they can have the mac and cheese, and then, and then that's the end of it. When we think of dieting, we always imagine a complete overhaul of the way we've been eating. But by definition, your maintenance calories is the average amount of food you've been eating recently. You can look up how much food you've been eating recently by weighing yourself and checking your maintenance calories. To start losing weight, you have to eat 500 to 1,000 calories less than that. And the day before I started losing weight, I was eating 3,300 calories. So what does that look like? Say a kind bar and coffee for breakfast, a chipotle burrito and chips and guacamole for lunch, and a creamy pasta dish and Caesar salad for dinner. To lose a pound and a half a week, all I have to do is cut out the 770-calorie chips and guacamole. And being on a 770-calorie deficit for six months or a year or more is not easy. But it's much, much easier than acting like everything you've been eating for the past year is terrible for you. One question that fascinated me for this podcast is, can we speed up our metabolism? It would be great if instead of eating 300 less calories, we could kick our metabolism 300 calories into overdrive. People talk all the time about, oh, I have, I have a slow metabolism, I have a fast metabolism. And obviously, when you're heavier, your, your body burns more mass. What are the factors that can actually increase or decrease the rate of our metabolism? Okay. So, I mean, innately, we all do have, I guess, a set point at which, you know, we will burn a certain number of calories just at rest. So that's kind of like the basic idea of our own internal metabolism. But other things that can affect metabolic rate and how quickly we burn calories include, you know, our muscle mass versus our fat mass uh, gender. So if, you know, males tend to burn more calories than females because they tend to have more muscle than females. So, like, those are some of the things that um, inherently related to metabolism, but other things that can affect metabolism can include certain foods that we eat. Um, caffeine can increase your metabolic rate, physical activity can increase your metabolic rate, and, you know, certain uh, compounds like protein, amino acids, can also increase metabolic rate, although some of this is more uh, transient as opposed to just inherently out of static, you know, steady state. Right. And how striking is this effect? Because I've heard this, like, you know, caffeine can increase metabolic rate, spicy food can increase mm -hmm. the metabolic rate. But if someone were to sit out and say, okay, I'm going to lose weight only by, by drinking coffee and eating spicy food, and I'm going to keep, you know, my calorie intake the same. I mean, how profound of an effect would that have? Yeah. So, you know, I would never recommend somebody go on a high caffeine diet. <laughs> it's good for their health or their cardiovascular health at all. Um, and it will make them very jittery. But, you know, to be quite honest, having a lot of caffeine would really only increase your metabolic rate by like 1% or 2%. Um, and it's not to say that that's not a lot. You know, if someone averages 1,200 calories a day, well, actually, that's not very much. But if 
someone averages 1,200 calories a day as their just basal metabolic rate, right. you know, a 2% increase is 24 extra calories. You're not going to see a whole lot of weight loss. That's about two pounds a year. We hear a lot about things like, you know, stress makes it harder for easier for us to gain weight. Lack of sleep makes it easier for us to gain weight. Um, things like that. How much did those factors play in? Is it similar to caffeine and similar to spicy food where it's like, yes, you know, you're talking about um, 20 calories, 50 calories, or is it something where it's like stress and sleep decrease our willpower and, and therefore we're just going to want to eat more? Yeah. So that's kind of all of the above. When we're stressed, you know, it, it makes our cortisol which is the stress hormone, it, it pumps that out, which does lower our willpower. I mean, people make so many decisions in a day that being stressed out and having all that cortisol running through our bodies, it just makes it that much more difficult to make more decisions, particularly about health and welfare and food. So, you know, when we're stressed, certainly it does make it a lot, a lot more difficult to make healthy decisions. Um, stress also can you know, make it, make you crave certain foods. So in mm. fact, it can make you want to eat more of those comfort foods, things that are high in fat and sugar, which are also high in calories, which makes it that much more likely, you know, you will put on a little extra pounds of not getting enough sleep. Um, that also can affect your willpower uh, just because you're tired, and which makes it that much more difficult to make appropriate decisions, but also, you know, getting a lack of sleep can affect the hormones ghrelin and leptin, which regulate appetite. So normally, if you're getting enough sleep and you're eating well, uh, you know, once you're full, the leptin kicks in, and when you're hungry, the ghrelin kicks in. Well, if you're not getting enough sleep, the ghrelin kind of overrides the leptin, so you you tend to feel more hungry to keep you more energetic, to keep you awake, to do the things you need to do. There's a lot of expensive equipment that could tell you exactly how many calories your specific body burns in a day. I want to know how just putting some numbers in a website or an app compares to a top-level medical test. When someone comes into your program and, and is, is you're trying to decide you know, their, the, the amount of calories that would keep them the same, the same weight and the amount of calories that would cause them to, to lose a pound a week, you guys have a, a, a very fancy way of testing that. You guys have like metabolic machines and things like that. Yeah, right. So we do have what are called metabolic chambers. Um, where we can send somebody down to the lab and you, you go into, we have three of these chambers, you, move, you go into a room and the room is sealed up and it measures how much oxygen you're breathing and how much CO2 you're producing or exhaling, right? And, um, you know, it's an all sealed up. It's got windows and things that we can see. And the person just lies down on a, on a, on a, on a bed and, you know, they just rest for half an hour, let everything calm down, and then we measure their metabolic rate for the next half hour. And then we can extrapolate that out over 24 hours to get what we call their um, resting or basal metabolic rate. So that might come in at 1,800 calories or 1,400 calories. Um, so if we know that it measures it at, let's say, 22, or that's too high, 1,800 calories, then we know that we can calculate how many calories they would need to consume based on that information. But we don't 
don't send everybody for that sort of testing. We have an equation that we use called the Mifflin St. Gior, and that's just something you just complete. Um, you know, we have it on our website, and they just plug in their height, weight, and, and age, and it calculates something that would be very similar to the chamber. And when we compare the two, um, to, for the chamber to the equation, it comes pretty close. So without having people to go through the, uh, you know, the, 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 the time of coming in here first thing in the morning and being here for an hour and a half, we can just use the equation and it's a good enough estimate. So, so we use both methods. In your experience, if you were to just download like a calorie counting app or, or go to a, a sort of reputable website and put in your height, age, weight, and gender, that would be relatively close to the same kind of readout you would get from a metabolic machine. Yeah, all, all someone would have to do would find a site that uses the Mifflin, M-I-F-F-L-I-N, Saint, S-T-G-O-R-J-E-O-R. If they just go in there and use the Mifflin Saint Gior, they'll get a good, accurate reading. And that would be all they need to do. They don't need to go to some fancy uh, lab and, and pay money to it. And sometimes like what will happen is somebody's really reporting that, you know, they're really following the calories very closely and they believe that maybe they have a metabolic rate problem, um, you know, maybe related to their thyroid or just some sort of metabolic rate problem. And so we send them down for that testing, but it typically isn't a problem with the metabolic rate. People often underestimate how many calories, <clears throat> excuse me, how many calories they're consuming, and they can underestimate by, you know, 40%. So somebody could be thinking they're consuming 1,500 calories, when really they're consuming closer to 2,000. It's just hard to estimate accurately how many calories you consume. If you go out for dinner, you really don't know everything that they've put in that meal. When I was a kid and when I was in college, I believed the reason I was overweight was that I had a slow metabolism. If I could only switch metabolisms with the kid on the Ultimate Frisbee team for a few months, I'd burn all that fat right off. But it actually turns out, as we've discussed, that because I was heavier, I had a much higher metabolic rate than smaller people. So one question that fascinated me for this podcast is how much variation is there? Do some people have a slow or a fast metabolism for their size? among people of the same size, the same height, eight, wage, gender, people who have all the same stats, if, if, if they were to put right. those numbers into like an online, you know, into an online calculator, what is the, the, the just genetic metabolic range between say, like I said, like, like 20 people who are all six, five, all 250 pounds. Right. Um, I don't think I could tell you sort of statistically the variability, but I could tell you that it would range and it would range based on, you know, if they're the same weight, it's one thing. The height would make a difference because a lot of the metabolic rate is based on the surface area of your body. So somebody shorter is going to have a lower metabolic rate simply because there's less surface area. Um, the thing is also, though, that muscle mass is going to make a big difference. So if we have two people of equal height and weight, let's just say, right? Let's say they weigh 200 pounds, they're men, and they both weigh 200 pounds, but one of them has, um, you know, 20% fat and the other has 45% fat, the metabolic rate's going to be different. So we need to take into account all of those factors. And then if you had absolutely everything equal, there still might be some variability because there is a genetic component to metabolic rate and to what even what somebody weighs, There's there are genetics to the to this issue. With all the people you've had come into your clinic it when you when you you know if you were to give everyone who's come in you know a 500 calorie deficit the person who was most genetically predisposed to not lose weight what would you expect that person to happen like like how much of the one pound a week of weight loss would they not not be able to to benefit from if everybody got that 500 calorie deficit if they absolutely followed it if we could lock them up and really monitor what they're eating then the weight loss should be similar 
Um, it, it would depend on a couple of factors, like just even how much they fidget. I can't really say with certainty. I can tell you that if we give them 500 calorie deficit and they go out into the world, then there's going to be a great deal of variability so, oh, that- because you know some people are going to follow it better than others. Is there any other factor that's that's causing us to gain and lose weight besides calories in, calories out? Like, is it is there, you know, how major are these other factors? And like if somebody says, oh, you know, I lost weight by eating healthy and exercising or I lost weight by eating certain kinds of foods. Is it just is it just that they're sort of accidentally creating a calorie deficit or is there other ways to do it? Like if we had the indirect calorie limit on them, we would notice the calorie expenditure and when we did the math we and the calorie intake, if we could measure that accurately enough, no matter what they did, whether they told me that they were counting calories or keeping food records or just exercising and watching their calorie intake, eating healthy, as you say, uh, what I would, and they said they lost weight. What I would know is that even if they weren't conscious of it, they were consuming fewer calories. Or, or, or no, I shouldn't say it that way. I should say that they were uh, burning more calories than they were consuming, whether they had intended to do that or not. Um, they, they clearly they were if they were losing weight. So it could have been that they created the calorie deficit by uh, by more exercise or by reducing calorie intake or by both. Right now, what we know is that people lose a lot more weight by reducing their calorie intake than they do by exercising. If you if you if you put everybody on a weight loss program and have everybody in the room uh, lose weight and they don't exercise, one group doesn't exercise and the other does, the people who don't exercise are going to, the people who don't exercise are going to regain their weight at a faster rate. Furthermore, if you have half of the group just exercise to lose weight, tell them don't reduce your calories, just exercise, and the other half reduce your calories, the people who reduce their calories are going to lose a lot more weight, Um, uh, you know, on the order of 8%, well, the way we say it is if they exercise alone to lose weight, they might lose 2, 1% to 2% of their initial body weight, whereas the people who reduce their calorie intake by, let's say, 500 calories a day, uh, they could lose, you know, uh, 10% or more of their body weight in a fixed amount of time. So the upshot is that some of us are more genetically predisposed to gain weight than others because of the kinds of foods we crave and how much we naturally move around. But outside of very rare genetic conditions, most of us have the capacity to look up a healthy calorie deficit online or on our phones. As you can see from Rich's answer, weight loss is complicated and the field is constantly evolving. In 10 years, we may know more about, for example, how the bacteria in our gut contribute to our efforts to lose weight. But the basic science of losing weight is creating a calorie deficit. And Rich says his money would be on calorie reduction from food rather than exercising. And so in episode two, we'll talk about the second reason being told to eat healthy and exercise is unhelpful. It turns out exercise doesn't help you lose much weight. Campfire.